0: It is time for part two of Jesse Valley, his story of serving as a (laughs) stoner.
1: I I wasn't a stoner.
0: Serving as a soldier. Let's try that again. <laughs> part of the Army National Guard uh, was in the reserves and then went active duty. The last part of our previous podcast, we were discussing how you had uh, wrapped up your training and then you came back to uh, Marinette, Wisconsin. And it was at that point that um, you were just kind of around doing doing the weekend thing once a month. Once a month, yeah. You would report and you would do some training and things like that. And then then comes the word that you're finally going overseas. Yep, because you had mentioned you were trying to go, but at, and they'd be like, "You're on the next list. You're on the next list. You're on the next list," because your unit had already deployed.
1: Right, I I missed their their flight the first time, so I tried to regroup with them and just wasn't happening. So I ended up going over with a unit that actually replaced my unit. Okay, uh, they they taught me the ropes before they went home.
0: So what year did you deploy?
1: 2006 to seven.
0: And you went to Iraq? Yes. As part of a security force?
1: Yep, I was a convoy security.
0: So your job was to protect, um, you know, the movement of of gasoline and... uh...
1: Yep, we took care of all the major highways between um, supply lines. Uh, We would ship supplies up north, bring back battle damage south, my base was actually on the border of Kuwait, but we worked all throughout Iraq. I lived out of a rucksack.
0: Do you recall flying into Iraq?
1: I actually flew into Kuwait.
0: When you flew into Kuwait, do you, do you <laughs> recall the feeling you were you were having at that time?
1: A little unease, um, nervous, excited not sure what to expect.
2: Had you done a lot of traveling before that? No. No. So you're Alaska, Wisconsin boy going from the U.S. Uh, overseas to the Middle East to There was this a pit stop in Georgia too. Conflict, that's right, Georgia. Well,
1: ac- there was actually a lot of pit stops with my flight even. Um, when we, we left, we were down in Florida for training mobilization training and then we went up to maine to pick up another unit and then as we were leaving our hydraulics failed so we landed back in maine and had to sleep till our plane got fixed and then we went over i think we refilled so we could make it all the way to iraq it was like a 22-hour flight
0: (sighs) long time on a plane yep so uh you flew into kuwait Mm -hmm. um When you land and they open those doors, what's the experience like?
1: Opening up an oven. Oh. (laughs) It's just straight heat right to your face. It's
0: one you can't back away
1: from. No, no. My wife jokes that I fried my temperature gates. I actually am a lizard now. I enjoy the heat. Really? Yeah. I'll sit in a parked car with the windows rolled up and I'll just take a nap.
0: (laughs) I have to have that cold on my face at all times. I See, there's some things I definitely know I could not adapt to. Going to a place like Iraq, there's no way. There's no way. Because even just a little bit of heat, like if our house gets up to like 75, I'm basically a baby. I'm
2: <laughs> um, crying. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday it was 74, and it's so hot, you're killing me. It's bad.
1: I, I enjoy cold. I enjoy sleeping in the cold, but I, I get that nice warm sun on my face, and I, I just— yeah, I pass out. So you uh,
0: you end up walking out into the oven. Yep. And uh, what was the, what was the first things you saw getting off the plane?
1: Pretty much the middle of an airport. It, it's a giant major city in Kuwait that we're parked at, and we're just unloading onto the tarmac. And we grab our gear, and we see rows of uh, five tons, and we start piling into the five tons to head back to our base. Essentially,
0: uh, the initial base you go to is in Kuwait.
1: Yeah, it was in Kuwait. We had um, giant field tents, essentially, great giant uh, green tents that stretched about the size of this building, pretty large, wow. housed the whole company. And then we got uh, acclimated to the weather, um, brief cultural tours. Um, they gave us classes on some of the, the language, what we need to know about the culture, essentially the the finer points of the area before we head out to our main base
0: now here's a question for you because I've heard this a couple of times you train and train but you learn nothing until you get there
1: I, I hear this often you can never prepare yourself for war and it's pretty much true you can only give your prepare yourself for the concept you can never really know what it's like until you're there um, and it changes you no matter how much or how you are you will come back different
0: I mean, how long were you there before you started to hear your first gunshots or explosions in the distance? I mean, was it a long time or was it pretty quick within...
1: It was pretty quick. Um, We got to our base, I think, within the first week. And then we started doing missions on the third day. Uh, We had our first casualty on that third day. Uh, I showed you a a quick video about that. Uh, That got posted on the internet from uh, the Taliban showing showing off essentially
0: we hit a vehicle with an IED
1: yep showing how vulnerable we are and that pretty much sucker punched us that that hurt you said
0: that there were four casualties
1: uh there was three in that one three casualties and were
0: those guys they had just arrived with you
1: yep that was our unit uh one of them was a trainer the the previous unit they had one of theirs to a team of us. So there was normally three people in a truck. You have a driver, a truck commander, and a gunner. Um, sometimes you'll have a fourth or fifth passengers, or sure. if you were um, QRF Quick Reaction Force, you'll have a couple extra riflemen to secure areas. But
0: and the only the only survivor on that was the driver. Correct. Um, so this was, this was, I mean, that's a quick turnaround to have a casualty. I mean, that's just, like you said, you said it's a sucker punch. Yeah. And uh, it's probably a game changer as well for you guys mentally.
1: Yep. Because it was a different type of ID that we weren't told about and we couldn't really prepare ourselves for it. And because of that, it sparked a good five months uh, investigation questioning whether or not we were trained properly. If. We kept getting asked, if you had more training, could you avoid this? And it sucked.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of people have seen videos online of the types of weaponry that's used mm-hmm. by our enemies over there. A lot of it's so crude. But it's it, effective. It, it's effective, but it's so crude that I feel like it, there's ever evolving and changing. There's How do you stay up to date on what's the current way they're doing it? You know what I mean? like. I, I learned about the ice. I, I had no idea that ice was used, and once it melts, it shoots off the mortars at the bases, and they're yeah. long gone. Yeah. I had no clue that was a thing.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, you remember, you know great foam, right? Mm. Yeah, or uh, essentially uh, foam in a can. The, oh, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. For, um, there's many names. But they'll use that to make it look like a rock, and it's got an explosives in it. And they oh, just pick it up really? set it on the side. Oh, yeah. Um, fresh... Uh, roadway. They'll take tires and they'll cook it so that the road will be nice and soft. They'll dig it up, put a bomb in there and cover it right up. They, they get very creative. Um, we had enough equipment on our truck. We had what's called a rhino system, essentially a giant steel pipe sticking out from our vehicle with a glow plug and it heats up an ammo can. That's supposed to set off uh, heat sensing IEDs before it hits us. We had equipment in the back of our truck, supposed to jam any radio signals or other vehicles they had uh, equipment for pressure plates that would run over it and blow up and you just change out the tires and keep going. At at one point we kept joking. I was like, so if it goes off, does it mean one system failed and the other one's working or...
0: (laughs) You probably have to have a sense of humor about this stuff while you're there. I mean, as horrible as
1: that is, I developed a very sick sense of humor. But, yes,
0: but it's not. It's not just our soldiers, because I've heard that with people who do jobs like policing and paramedics and things like that. Because you're dealing with this internally and and you have to continue to do your job, that type of humor becomes just normal.
1: You're constantly have adrenaline under pressure, and you either snap and you get become a complete. A-hole, for lack of a better word. You take it way too seriously or you kind of have to laugh at the situation.
2: I want to know how, like, obviously there's training. This is how I use this weapon, um, like a hand-to-hand combat, those kinds of things. How are you trained to try to spot these things when they can look like everyday things? I wouldn't notice it, but you would. How does that work?
1: That one, you kind of get trained on the job okay um we did do try uh learning that before we we arrived we were down in mississippi for that training you drive around actual towns and uh, around the base and they threw out certain obstacles um, fake ambushes we also would get intel from the unit we were placing is like hey this is what we're seeing okay incorporate this in your training i got a lot of sore bruises <laughs> my uh as we were going through training, my TC would constantly hit my leg and be like, why aren't you calling that out? And Call that out. It's like the road is under construction. Everything is broken. <laughs> a lot of the routes we do like two, three times a day. So you kind of understood like the landmarks and oh, that tank. That's just a blown up tank. That ain't going to be any problem for quite a while. Okay. Um, we constantly check it. Um, EOD goes out in the routes and they'll check things. They'll mark it with uh, chem sticks or paint. Uh, For like trash bags, you see a certain mark for that week, you know, it was already checked. It's a weird thing to think
0: putting it into like when I look at it here in the United States versus what you were dealing with in Baghdad. I'm driving through city street here, normal people walking around buildings and my likelihood of being shot at out of nowhere is not that high (laughs) comparatively to where you were you were driving through normal streets of a city with people everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I have to know, how hard was it for you to be trusting of any people that you saw walking that street? Because it could be anybody, right?
1: Yes, it it could be anybody. We had reports of even children tossing grenades underneath trucks. Wow. um, Whether or not they were just knowing what they were doing or they were just told to do it that, that's hard to prove at the time but what's protocol
0: just don't stop for anything you just keep going it, ch-
1: it changes when you we first started it, you keep going for an explosion uh, you get out of what they call the kill zone other times it, we were told as soon as an id hits you stop because the next one could kill you because they'll daisy chain them it's a constantly changing uh rule
0: yeah, I, I think it was Aaron that mentioned if like a truck got hit, they left them behind. And then after you're out of that zone, a, a rescue mission goes on for any possible survivors.
1: It, it also depends on where you're at, too. Um, if it happened, um, cause like I said, we were, our base was just on the other side in Kuwait. Uh, if it happened within the first city, which was Saffron, we would radio back for QRF and they would come in and secure the area and we would just keep going. We wouldn't even bother stopping. Right. And- they would take care of everything. Because your
0: mission is to get, you have to complete that mission. There's a reason you're running that that route. Yeah, so you have to get it done.
1: Yep, so we would just keep going. Other times, if we were in the middle, tire goes out, we have to sit, we wait, we fix, and either we wait for reinforcement or extra equipment to complete our mission or we had to figure out how to limp it behind. Did you have interactions with any of the civilians? Uh, My first tour uh minimum um the local we had locals work inside the bases so actually um there was a coffee joint called green bean by far the best coffee i've had better than starbucks really oh, okay. cheaper too <laughs>
0: well that's not a shock hey, I, I you go to starbucks a lot what do you pay per
1: coffee well, let's not
2: talk about that
1: <laughs> um actually what really sad is um the co- coffee place I went to, I became a regular uh, vanilla chai latte. Uh, I got hooked. My second tour, the base was dismantled and it was moved. The same dude that did gave me coffee remembered me two years later and wow. gave me my order. And it's like, dude, that's creepy.
0: But at the same time, that probably felt pretty good to be able to get your coffee. <laughs> oh, <still. yeah. laughs>
1: it was awesome. It was perfect. But How it, long
0: was this first deployment?
1: Ten months was this first one.
2: And you were saying off the air, this first one, you did a lot of stuff at night, right? Yep, yeah,
1: most of my missions, um, there was missions going out throughout the day. Uh, my missions were more long-term, so we would travel at night, less activities, less interactions with the people, and cover a darkness helps. Um, other missions uh, are shorter runs that were only taking a couple hours to the nearest base. They would go eight times a day, wow. all day. Did your
0: convoy on any of your missions take enemy fire?
1: None confirmed.
0: (laughs) So there's possible...
1: There was a a night in the middle of Baghdad where we heard, um, essentially, bullets hitting metal. We could never figure out where it was coming from. It was only a a few shots, so we could never really tell if it was at us even.
0: Yeah, but I have heard that too about, about Baghdad is that there is guns fired all the time and it has nothing to do with the war that was going on like literally they shoot guns to celebrate ramadan (laughs) yeah yeah wow yeah oh yeah yeah that's how they celebrate as soon as it gets dark they
1: start shooting off in the middle of the air it's essentially fourth of july for them
0: that's crazy that's so terrifying i don't even i don't even know how your brain functions in that with with being able to do what you get your job done, you know, with just bullets being shot into the air. That's terrifying to me.
1: Why do you wear a helmet?
2: <laughs> Say with things like that happening so often, and I'm sure it was pretty obvious that you were not a local there. If ever you had time off. Were you able to or was it safe enough to, like, go see things?
1: Certain areas. um, There was one. We we, we nicknamed it Scabies. I'm trying to remember what the actual (laughs) name was.
0: It sounds (laughs) like a real pleasant place to visit. Uh,
1: Essentially, it was the truck stop base. Uh, No matter what time of the day or night you got there, you had to stop there for a minimum four hours. It was just a rule. But um, get there, they would have a bazaar just outside the fence So you can go there. They had a little marketplace. Um, We would get what we called Haji movies, um, bootleg CDs, DVDs. All right. Five bucks. They weren't really caring about the quality.
0: (laughs) Just wanted something to pass the time when you weren't on a mission. Pretty much. How did you pass the time besides the movies? When you you were not on missions, you were back at base.
1: A lot of Halo. (laughs) Video game? Halo was a big thing for us. Um, Or poker. Um, Texas Hold'em.
0: Did you have... um, Opportunities to call home?
1: As long as there was no camel blackout on the current base I was at. Pretty much if anyone was hurt that belonged to that base, all communications stopped until the families were notified, no matter how slight. So if someone bruised their ankle, they still shut down communications. Wow. So my mother, as little as I did talk to her, she kept yelling at me. It's like, why don't you call me more? It's like, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> So, Does that
0: ever change with moms? No. Well No. But, you never call me enough.
1: But uh, essentially the way I saw it is like, if you don't hear from me, it's good. <laughs> the, right. The less you hear, the better. Sure. That's got to just be
0: quite the experience. You're 18 years old at this time or 19? Yes, 18.
1: Okay. Uh, going on 19 halfway through.
0: So 18 going on 19 and you are driving with, how many soldiers would you say went out with you on this mission driving through Baghdad?
1: Usually we have... Three trucks. Um, Sometimes we went with two. Uh, That was rare cases, but we usually had three trucks or three, so it was about nine of us.
0: So here you are, 18 years old, eight other men or women with you, and surrounded by people from a country that is foreign (laughs) to you, bad guys possibly around any corner, booby traps possibly anywhere. That, to me... Seems so terrifying. I really, I don't. I guess I, I, I want to understand your mental state going into something like this.
1: How do you handle that?
2: Well, I'm living 18? in it for ten months. I, I can't imagine.
1: I, well, I was young, dumb. <laughs> 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 my, my first missions, I threw all cautions to the wind. I, I was way too bold for my own good. Uh, I, short of. Drawing a bullseye on myself and be like, take your best shot. (laughs) I I was pretty, pretty cocky.
0: It's interesting because when you are younger, you do feel invincible. Yeah. However, you did get the gut punch within three days of arriving of having fellow soldiers. I don't know how how old they were, but, you know.
1: Not much older. I believe he was 22.
0: I mean, so you knew that that's not the case. You're not an invincible person. But for some reason, there was still a boldness there.
1: I, I keep joking I had a death wish <laughs>
0: Wow so 10 months what would you say was the most difficult of your missions while you were while you were there did you did you have anything at one of those situations where just everything went long where the tire blew out and then an engine died or there's
1: lots of those
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I mean mechanically though mechanically when you think about it you're in an area that is filled with sand and it's blowing and it I mean, God, I I can't imagine the the abuse those vehicles took from the weather.
1: Our our maintenance did a hell of a job. But we were also there at the time. They kept changing the configurations of our Humvees. They upgraded our Humvees, the doors. When we first got there, they were canvas. They were still canvas style. They weren't even armored at the time. Wow! And then when we first got there, they started putting um, the first kit. And we upgraded that two more times. The doors, when we were done, are 400 pounds a piece.
0: Which, yeah. was, which was good for IED explosions. It was safe Certain and light. Ones. Yeah. Certain. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, when they upgraded the doors, they also had to upgrade the frame and the suspension to handle the doors. And oh,
2: yeah. I mean, it, it, even if you had two doors, that's 800 pounds. That's a lot.
1: Yep. Um the maintenance guy, halfway through our tours, they found out or found a way of tweaking the timing to give us a little bit more horsepower out of the engines. And our fastest speed was roughly around seventy-five. So you did this ten
0: months, providing security for the the uh, supplies to get to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. What's the What's the farthest that you guys had to travel?
1: My first mission. How long was that? Fourteen days.
0: 14 days to deliver supplies.
1: We went from uh, the Kuwait border just outside of Safwan Hill. And then we went all the way up to the north Iraq border. Uh, I believe uh, Diamondback was the the camp.
0: There was no closer place to resupply them. You guys had to resupply this place from 14 days away. I couldn't
1: even tell you what we hauled up there. Um, Uh uh, We did a lot of missions where we would haul uh, marine stuff. Are we talking
0: like weaponry or vehicles or anything
1: anything uh their luggage their equipment their vehicles we also supplied the uh food so it, it could have literally be anything i have no idea what was in most of those
2: and a plane wouldn't be faster or more efficient <laughs>
1: There probably was no not my decision
2: <laughs> i just I mean, maybe like maybe it's not as safe. Maybe being in a car was safer, but just seems like wow, fourteen days. A plane would have been a lot easier. Well,
0: paint well, a picture for me. Is it armored hum- Humvee truck, truck, truck with supplies, and then armored Humvee? Is that uh, kind of how you did it, or
1: pretty much? Um, we would have the lead Humvee, um, and this particular mission, we would have what we called green trucks, so all military. Uh, semi trucks. Usually we would have what we call white trucks as uh, the local contractors and that's usually gas. Okay. Um, but this one was all military. So about five or six um, camouflage green semis, another Humvee, another six or seven semis. I think this one we had four gun trucks. So I think there was about 75 of us.
0: So when you, um, when you arrive after a 14 day trip, how long until you turn around and leave?
1: Um, we use, usually when you got to a base, you stayed overnight and then you would, you try and pick something that was coming back. I was too low on the totem pole, so I don't know the whole logistics of everything up above, but from what I understand is we would get orders to send something up. And when we got there, um, the truck commander would get another mission or another supply of what we were breaking down back with us.
0: So how about... During the 14-day trip, did you stop and set up camp at night? Yeah, well, rest or is it? You we just would stop sleep along the, truck?
1: the bases. Essentially, we'd hit. Uh, Like I said, that first one, uh, Scabies, (laughs) mandatory stop. So there was a lot of places where we would pull in and we would wait for the next one. There was a few days in there where we couldn't leave. Actually, that first one, um, the route went what we would call black, where there was no travel allowed whatsoever, and that lasted for about four or five days.
0: What causes that? Is there—they picked up that there's, like, enemy on that?
1: Yeah, high enemy traffic um, or during certain times of the years, like during— Ramadan right before or right after it gets more aggressive and we try to avoid that
0: so 10 months getting to an end here um like your final week you knew you were going home what's going through your mind at that point
1: my final week actually (laughs) I I almost did nothing I we we drew lots for when we can go home for vacation and mine was at the tail end so I went home I think like in November November or December, I couldn't remember. It, it, it was right before a major snowstorm, where it was like 12 feet of snow, and I had oh. a shovel right before I went back, and I was like, this sucks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am a military soldier.
1: It was, well, it was, per- it was a perfect week, and then the, like the day before, it was just a crap ton of snow, and I was like, really?
0: <laughs> <sighs> I got to work out. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd be, you'd be warm soon enough. Yeah. Right. and then
1: I went back. And then that, at that time, we were given uh, three-day leaves. Well, everyone else was on mission, so I was pretty much the only one qualified to go on a three-day leave. So I got back. I was there for a day. They sent me over to Qatar for another three-day vacation. I came back, and then we had two weeks before we shipped out. Our replacing unit was already on ground, so we started training them on the different weapons and the area and what to expect, and I essentially started teaching people, I think this was a New York company, I was teaching them about the shotgun. Because none of them handled a shotgun, apparently.
2: Out of curiosity, I mean, certainly I've never been over there and probably will never be. Were there things that you really liked being over there? Was there anything cool that you got to do? Or was it less of being over there and things you got to experience, like, as being part of the group you were with? Like, there had to be something great that you really liked, I hope.
1: I I loved the whole thing, actually. Um, My first tour, I absolutely loved. We were armed tourists lack oh, of a better okay. word I mean I like that you, you saw some of the the videos I showed you the farther north we went up we got to go more daylight and the northwestern part of the country it was more canyons more hills and mm-hmm. it, it kind of made me feel like I was in Colorado even and it was just beautiful landscape you get to uh, Baghdad and you see like the the arches that was an awesome sight um Palm trees and greenery <laughs> after a week of seeing nothing but desert.
2: Sure, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you <laughs> ju-
1: see any of Saddam's palaces while you were there? I did not. Um, a lot of our people, they they were able to. I never took any of those tours. I didn't really.
0: Oh, they have... gave tours. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. I did hear that. They did give, yeah, a golden toilet. Yep.
1: Oh, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> yep. You, you had to have permissions to go in them. So there's usually a, a tour or a guided tour. Okay. Or you. Did that and didn't tell anyone.
0: (laughs) Is there anything that you didn't know about that place that you learned that was surprising?
1: I was naive for most of it. So, I mean, (laughs) I was surprised at the locals, though. Um, The culture itself was as different as we were. We were still pretty common. Um, I would go to the local MWR and we'd play pool and everything. And there was uh, a local gentleman. He was there every day. He was a pool shark. (laughs) <laughs> he, you would walk up and you'd be like, what level do you want me to play at? Like, <laughs> I don't know, nine. All of a sudden he just hits a ball, bounces off the rails like eight times and pockets it. And it's like, wow,
0: he's, he's a shark. <laughs> yeah. I like it.
1: So, I mean, the, the the culture, there are differences, but at the same time, it's just like going downtown. Just different
0: the, people, but mm-hmm. same, same wants and needs out of life. Yep.
1: Every mission, we go and we check the trucks and you'd have three or four of them playing Britney Spears on the radio. <laughs> uh, next row over, you see the old guys sipping tea and chatting. Interesting.
0: You know. Did you ever uh, get offered like food or drink by locals? A few times. Did you trust it? Did you take it?
1: Yes. Um, that was one of the advice my grandfather taught me is experience everything you can um, because you never know when you get to again. Mm-hmm. Um, the tea I tried, didn't really care for it. Um, this is more towards my second tour, but I've I've had some of their food, and I would stay away from the yogurt. <laughs> I did not <laughs> like the yogurt.
0: <laughs> I just think about how hot it is over there, right. and yogurt does not sound appealing. They would
1: put salt in their yogurt.
2: Oh, really? Oh. Yeah,
1: it, it is not a sweet yogurt like we're used to. It's more. It's even more sour than Greek. It, the translator laughed at me when I had it, but. <laughs>
2: Is there anything um, you wish you would have done when you were there that you didn't do or you didn't get a chance to do? It's
0: got to be the golden toilet. It's, it's got to be.
1: <laughs> no, there, I, I kind of missed out because most of my uh, rotations all the fun events happened either when I was on the road or I was sleeping.
0: Oh <laughs> like when they bring in um, performers and things yeah, to, to like all the, the mood?
1: concerts or whatnot. it's like the only ones I saw, I did get to see the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders vaguely. I mean I that's mean, a win. I was in a nosebleed section, so I mean it's still a win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've um, never seen the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders <laughs> except on TV.
1: Um there was also uh, a couple of the WE players no one i knew at the time all
0: right i like that they allow that stuff to happen and that that you guys get a chance to get a break from the reality that you're currently living in especially at 18 years old 19 years old
1: i i would have loved to see like robin williams when he was over there that would have been blowing my mind stuff like that i wish I would have seen
0: well let's talk about the return home after this first trip okay what was the hardest part about going back because you you'd already gone back you mentioned you went back already on a vacation yep and then came back and then you were there another couple weeks before going home again but to try and readjust what was the worst part this first time around was there a worst part or was it pretty simple for you
1: there wasn't too much of a worst part I mean I I played a practical joke on my mother so I mean
0: Uh oh. (laughs) You kind of owe her after the push ups thing. Oh
1: no, I I got her back in April Fool's for that one, so it was all good. Uh, What did you do to her? Uh, I called her from overseas and she was actually cutting my grandfather's hair, which was a perfect time. And the the conversation started off normal. How's it going? It's like, oh, I'm fine now that uh, I'm on something stronger than morphine. Oh no. Oh, you did not. (laughs) Yep. Um, nice long pause and I, I figured that would have just tipped my mother off that there was nothing wrong, but apparently she didn't put two and two together. So
0: I'm guessing she didn't find this very funny.
1: Nope, nope. <laughs> uh, there was a nice long pause. Why what, what what did you do? Oh nothing. Don't worry. The doctors say they can reattach it.
2: <gasps> oh gosh.
1: You're a terrible son. <laughs> The, the next part is like, what did you do? Oh, don't worry. I just lost my insanity. Nice. She was so <laughs> upset. She actually nicked grandpa's ear. Oh. Grandma is just dying on the floor laughing. Wait, I could, I could are
0: you telling me your poor grandfather gets physically injured because of your idea of comedy? <laughs> yep. That's
1: terrible.
2: <laughs> he wasn't holding the scissors.
1: It, it was probably an electric trimmer, actually. <laughs>
0: oh, So you played the prank on her. Yep. Um, All right.
1: But I was coming home, and this one, I actually asked my grandmother and my grandfather to pick me up and drop me off because I knew my mother would be working. They did. They picked me up from the, at the time we were, because I was deployed with the Sussex unit, we went back to Milwaukee. And so they picked me up from that unit, drove me back to, at the time my mother was living in Shawnee. We stopped at one of her favorite bars, and I knew it was her favorite bar. Now I'm 19 at this point. <laughs> Not really allowed. As far
0: as I'm concerned, okay, first of all, you should be allowed to drink. If you're a soldier, Oh yeah, that rule shouldn't apply anymore. Once what? you've become a soldier, you should be able to drink. What? Secondly, isn't Wisconsin law, if you're with your mom, you can drink?
1: They can give you the beer. They can order the beer, but you cannot order it. Okay. If they physically handed it to you, yes. Did your mom get you hammered? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, my grandfather would also agree. He he did that right before I, I deployed. We went out, and we actually— Got a few beers together. And sure. He had that mindset as well. Um. We stopped in. I actually had to go to the bathroom, and I hear my mother. She has a very loud voice. <laughs> I hear her come in, and I finished my business. And I walked down. It's like, I said, I think someone owes me a round. And she turns around, and just starts bawling in the middle oh, of this bar. Oh, I love that. The, the bartender gave her shit for, like, weeks because <laughs> my mother is known for not being soft whatsoever.
0: <laughs> but she broke down when her baby boy returned. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And how long— Were you there before having to go back again?
1: Um, Over a year. Um, In between, or when I got back the first time, I actually signed up for a program to train soldiers going over. It was a program to be taught by people that that had the most relevant uh, information. There's actually a a limit of how long you had to to enlist in this program. So if I didn't... How to word this? (laughs) The time limit was you had... You could only do it for a year at a time, and you couldn't be away from the environment for more than a year. So I joined up on this, and I would be working at Fort McCoy for essentially until my second tour.
0: And you were training, and you were explaining, and yep. this is what you're going to see.
1: Pretty much. Um, I wasn't a instructor in a normal sense, though. Um, I got hooked up with another unit that our main goal was to be the bad guy. Oh, and it was hmm. the best time of my life. <laughs>
0: did you have fun with these guys? Oh, yes. What kind of fun did you have with them?
1: Um, Playing chicken with a Dodge Neon versus a oh. Up Armour Humvee. Think the Humvee wins? No, I won.
0: Oh! <laughs> you were in the Neon? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did kamikaze strafing runs. I would hang out the windows shooting over vans. Because
0: this is stuff they potentially could be seeing. I mean, crappy yep. car coming right at them, and who oh, knows yeah. what's armed inside. Oh, no. I,
1: I, we, we also had um, traditional robes and turbans, and I would blast moss music out of my neon, and we had training devices that would essentially explode baby powder. It was a okay. CO2 cartridge and— just baby powder and a little plastic popper.
0: But enough to let you know if that was a real bomb, you would be dead. Oh yeah.
1: No, I would have that strapped to a grill. And one time we were driving down the, the roads of Fort McCoy and I'm supposed to test their, um, their procedures. And so I would come up and they would honk their little blow horn at me so I'd hit my horn, imitating them. They would wave me off. I'd wave at the window. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, eh, he ain't doing nothing. So I'd drive up, start driving up the convoy, which I'm not supposed to do. I see one that had their windows down. Big, no, no, you don't have your windows down. It's like, there's my target. And I had the, the canister actually pointed at, strapped just right. I hit the, the trigger, exploded baby powder all over inside their windshield. Oh. Their driver was covered from head down to her shoulders where the window ended. The instructor that was observing, he got covered with baby powder. As soon as that happened, because their whole windshield was covered, they had to pull off to the side. They couldn't see no more. Instructor gets out, comes over to me. He's like, guess we should have had our windows up.
0: That's a sobering (laughs) moment, though, for them, because in reality, they're dead. Yep. That was an Um, explosive device that went off. They're dead. Yep. And that is... That's That's got to be a moment where they went, you know what, we really got to start doing this right.
1: Oh, yeah. And the way they drive over there is it's mostly guidelines. I mean, the roads themselves don't even matter. Uh, oh. they'll, they'll drive out in the ditch, go around you, and hop up in front, um, which I did with a Dodge Neon. Wow. <laughs> I, I abused that car.
0: <laughs> so you did this for a full year? Yep. And you got a lot of people ready for overseas and then out of nowhere you were called up or you volunteered to go? Voluntold. Voluntold.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I asked to actually stay in the unit because I knew what they were going to do. Some of the people I worked with there, they just got back from being detainee guards. And I heard the horror story and was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Keep my ass here. I actually signed a waiver saying I could stay. And a week before they left for training, it's like, pack your bags. They're coming with. It's like, what about the waiver? Doesn't matter. Voluntold. <laughs> Pretty much.
0: <laughs> so now you are headed back to Baghdad and you're going to be guarding prisoners?
1: Sort of. The first base is actually at Buka, um, towards the, the Kuwait border. We went there first. It was actually a low security, minor offenses, suspicions. Um, they Everything was open. They had a giant yard to walk around. There was... It was very relaxed.
2: What would a minor offense be?
1: I could not tell you. Okay. I was not the one in charge of putting them in there. Sure, sure. <laughs> um,
2: not exploding somebody, but showing they, private body parts.
1: Possibly.
0: <laughs> I mean, I feel like anything aggressive towards our troops is probably, it, a, verbally would probably be, hey, we've got to detain this person.
1: Sometimes it could have been they were just in the same room as the— the cell Um, a lot of the terrorist cells were family members Mm, and so we didn't tell where they were at we arrested everyone in that building
0: sure so you're guarding these people yep I guess I'm gonna ask a question and you can talk about it or not talk about it it's up to you do you get to know any of these people on a personal level some of them is there any sort of connection that you're making that's like yeah we might be on opposite sides here but
1: we're people like you're not supposed to Sure. Um, the first base I was at, not really. You kinda learn about certain individuals, the ones that stand out. We had one that used to be a locksmith, and all of a sudden he would just randomly come up to you and hand you a couple pair of locks that he pulled off from the back gate and it's like stop
0: <laughs> <laughs> But he didn't leave? He just he would get the locks off and yep. then and be like, Hey, you, look what I did. Yeah,
1: here's your locks. Huh. So, I mean, you, you learn about certain individuals. Okay, um, but
0: that's funny. Like, who, oh, yeah. who who can literally break themselves out of a prison and not go? It's he wasn't going to go very far. <laughs> and he, knew, he probably knew
1: that. Yeah. Okay. Um, because that lock just got him out of the little compound. There's four compounds inside a bigger one. Still. And then wow. on top of that. There's the base and yeah, he he wasn't going <laughs> Stop
2: far. Stop doing that. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Again. Like the cat that brings you a dead bird. Like thanks. <laughs>
0: Okay, so you got to learn about individuals. Was there anybody that you dealt with who is particularly aggressive about Americans?
1: Um, certain places they did have more radicals, the ones that absolutely did not care, and they tried. At least in my experience, they stayed in their own little areas, and they
0: are these. These are all military prisoners of war, right? This isn't just picked up by the Iraqi police for peeing in public or something.
1: I could not tell you that. I would not know.
0: So, you don't even, you don't, you don't really know if this was only on military level or if it was just prisoners in general. Yep. Wow.
1: Um, someone they really up, keep you guys in the dark. Someone up in the, the the main headquarters, they probably would have the dossiers on them and they would be able to tell you, nope, I have, my my mission was to maintain order. Mm-hmm.
0: So, even though you weren't supposed to, did you have any friendships that formed with anybody? Or- um, Or deeper conversations?
1: Conversations, yes. Um, The second base I went to, there was uh, a professor of Baghdad, and we would have philosophical debates and whatnot. Um, That facility was a little more secure, um, less room for them. I walked a single row of about 400 meters. I think there was six or seven bays of 20 guys and I would have to chat with um, what we would call the chief of that cell. We mm-hmm. we tried to limit the interaction as much as possible and each cell had their own leader and we'd interact with them and be like get this, this, these people set up for their appointments and if there was trouble in that cell we would punish the, the chief because he was supposed to keep order.
0: Okay and this is a prisoner. Yep. That, that's kind of the lead prisoner of each cell. Yep. And the, the professor was one?
1: Yep. Okay. He was actually... Um he was right at the corner. of, So I had a little station that I would write notes and all the information. He happened to be the very first cell, so it was right next to my station. So I ended up chatting with him a little bit more. than
0: Long conversations?
1: Not too long because I had to make rounds every 20 or so minutes. Mm. So quick five-minute conversations. I'd make my rounds. We'd have another conversation.
0: Do you ever find yourself wondering what happened to him? Every now and then. Occasionally?
1: Yeah. Um, found out he was one of the examples. His cousin was in the terrorist group, and he got picked up with them while they were having dinner.
0: Do you think under different circumstances that you and him could have been friends? Possibly. Like hung out, got coffee? Oh, yeah. I've always thought that just in general with prisons, you know, outside of the military prisons, I always thought... The interactions between a corrections officer and a prisoner, if there's ever that moment where you're like, man, I would totally have been friends with this person if they weren't in here for murdering 40 <laughs> people, or
1: you know. Yeah, it, it definitely, that that thought lingers often. Um, There's lots of scenarios where you go around and you start thinking, it's like, why are you even here? And then we get another group of intel of, um, there was a prisoner who is known for causing troubles, he didn't even want to be uh, in the cells, so he would cause trouble to get put in isolation, and then it's mandatory for the to release them for at least three days, wow. so they can stretch and reincorporate, and those three days, he would cause nothing but trouble just to get put back in isolation.
0: Did any of these places that you were guarding prisoners ever take enemy fire, or are they far enough away from where the main conflict was that you weren't concerned about that?
1: Um, we had nightly mortars. Really? Yep.
0: Wow. Was their goal to hit the right spot and their guys could come running out? Like, is that what the plan was for them?
1: Most of these uh, detainee facilities, they were pretty much in the center. And so the the mortar raids were essentially just to damage our facilities as much as possible. Um, half the times they were drive-by, they would actually have a mortar in the back of a pickup truck and they're trying to hit us as they're driving, which <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. So...
0: Did you, did you have a hard time coming home with fireworks and things like that? Do you deal with that? Or have you been able to to kind of work around that?
1: I've gotten around that. Um, certain sounds did trigger me at first when I got back. Uh, the most memorable one was I was actually at Walmart. Uh, a week after I got back, someone slammed their car door, and it I, I just snapped. I jumped behind my vehicle, and I reached for my hip because that's where my pistol was, usually was. And... I kept fumbling around and then I just started laughing. It's like, you dumbass, you don't have a pistol anymore. (laughs) Is
0: it, is that, um, is that a mind F to realize that you snapped back to a place that you were no longer at for that, just for that minute?
1: A little bit, yeah. Every now and then, um, certain highways, I'll, they'll, trigger like I'm back in Iraq because the pitch black and you just see an overpass and it's like uh, you go down towards like Iowa where there's absolutely nothing for miles and you see an overpass and it's like crap
0: (laughs) do you get worried when you see things on the side of the road like garbage bags and stuff like that or I
1: used to not so much anymore yeah I'm kind of fully adjusted from that now but when I first got back I would swerve for potholes and trash and
0: how have you worked through this type of stuff how have you gotten better about it made it easier
1: on yourself just facing it essentially um like I did with my fears for height just climbed the tallest tower and just get over it it's a very slow pace
0: do you still have any quirks dealing with like people being
1: behind you or I shouldn't drive with my rear view mirror as much as I do now Um, people behind me makes me very nervous or when, if I get boxed in, mm. so traffic sucks. <laughs> I would
0: imagine, I mean, when you're always vigilant, especially <laughs> after your first tour where you're driving and you're trying to get from point A to point B as safe as possible, you're constantly looking for any threat ahead of you or behind you or a side of you. I feel like that would absolutely still continue on to this day, just, just out of pure habit. I mean,
1: that one, it, it, Driving affects me more probably because I had a collision on uh, my first tour. And to this day, I still don't know the, the total outcome. I don't know if they even survived. So you,
0: you collided with a civilian vehicle? Yep. Oh, wow. And you uh, keep going?
1: Yep. That was our protocol. Um, I was driving along, and I actually even moved over more because he was kind of drifting. And the next thing I know, all of a sudden, my truck just shifts an inch, and my gunner's yelling. Mm-hmm. Um We switched places at that point. My gunner's yelling because the hood flew up over his head. Um, My right uh, mirror got folded in, and we were going 65, 70. Only put a scratch in my door, but from what the rear truck told me, the car was completely total, glass everywhere. There was at least three people in the vehicle, but we did not stop to assess the situation.
2: I mean, you really... Can in that situation, probably. I mean, what can you do?
1: So I really don't like people next to me.
0: You don't even know if it was on purpose that they were swerving towards your lane. I mean, it's very possible that that was the entire goal to get you to stop. Yep. And basically be surrounded, maybe gunners on roofs of a building or something. You never know. Had that happen, too. (laughs) Was that on your first tour as well?
1: That one was my first one. Um, It was a section of Baghdad. I can't remember which one. I believe we were actually were lost. <laughs> we we took a wrong turn and headed down a, a narrow street in the middle of Baghdad. And I could see in my night vision goggles actual fighting positions in a, a semi a semi-constructed building. And I could actually see the guns. And I told my truck commander, "I'm I'm staying what we called red." Uh, I was fully loaded, and I I was not turning my head away from that whatsoever. Interesting. Nothing happened out of that? Nothing no, came luckily, out of that. nothing happened. We weren't in that area very long. That's good.
0: I'm glad, man. I'm glad you made it back safely. And, and you know, I know that you mentioned you, you've you had some stuff that you've dealt with since coming back. But, you know, I'm just happy you made it back. Yeah. And, it you know, two tours, that's a lot. To be yeah. sent overseas, even if the second one was guarding prisoners, that's dangerous. That is super dangerous. They could have had weapons at any time, I'm sure.
1: Oh, we confiscated quite a few of them. It's a very interesting how creative they get with such few resources. They would actually shave with string. They would actually tie thin pieces of string. They would tie it in a knot, make it a nice loop, and they would do a, a single twist and make it kind of like a scissors. And they would actually shave or cut their uh, shower curtains with it. And it's amazing what they can do with so few.
0: Did you feel more unsafe doing the the first or the second tour when you were on the road in Baghdad or when you were surrounded by people that, you know, that were considered dangerous?
1: A little bit equal. Um, I definitely was more on edge my second tour. I was working 14-hour days, seven days a week. Uh-huh. Um, so I had very little sleep. Uh, my first tour, the, the way it worked, you, you show up a couple hours before your mission, got your truck ready, however long your mission was till you got to the base, you put everything away, and the rest of, your t- rest of the time was you did what you needed to do until the next um, de- or, uh, departure time.
0: How long was the second tour?
1: Second tour was nine or ten months, somewhere in there.
0: And then when that wraps up... And you return home. Are you still in the military? Yep. How yeah. much longer?
1: Um, we came back. We actually landed at McCoy. And I believe we were there for another two weeks before we went home.
0: And then how long are you still technically a mem- member of the military?
1: I was only a member of the military for another six months after that. Um, my initial contract was ended. Did they try to get you to re-up? Nope. No. Well, I shouldn't say that. yes. i actually got in charge i became the retention nco the main job of the retention nco is to keep people in oh
0: so that was your job (laughs) yes (laughs) and then they turn it on you when you're about to retire i
1: didn't like the person i was under and i could not stand him whatsoever so it was a done deal That and every time I tried to go into college, I got sent overseas. So it's Mm. like I'm letting my contract end, so you can't tell me I'm going. I want to finish school before I forget everything.
0: Did you use your GI Bill to pay for school? Yes, it
1: helped significantly.
0: I'm glad that that's something that our government still makes sure to take care of for our
1: soldiers because you earned it. I ended up getting two degrees with it.
2: Oh, that's awesome. So what are your degrees then?
1: I have a computer-aided drafting and design associates, (laughs) and then I have a bachelor's in computer information systems.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome.
1: Do you work for a company or do you work on your own? I currently work for Seymour School District.
2: Oh, very cool.
0: Excellent. And has your adjustment been, uh, I mean, other than the things we've already talked about, has your adjustment back to civilian life been been a fairly good road?
1: Probably better than most. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was one of the lucky few. Uh, I I have my own issues, and I, every now and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night and freak out my wife because I mutter in my sleep. And But luckily, I don't have too many quirks to where I can't adjust to normal life.
0: Do you do anything with veterans organizations now, like go to any events and hang out or see any of the people you served with?
1: Or um, In college, I did. Um, I went with uh, the vet clubs, and I met a lot of great people there. Um, there was... A ROTC function that I try to go to every year, uh, Reader's Ruck March. Um, I, I usually go and I dress up in a ghillie suit and I walk around. <laughs> I usually get a lot of laughs. That's good,
0: man. I'm glad that you're able to do that stuff. Uh, how long did you know your wife when you were in the military? Did No. How long?
1: Um, she met me just after my second tour. Oh, okay. okay. So I was just about leaving the military when she met me. Showed off that uh, military uniform? Only a couple times. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ladies love
1: the uniforms. I, I still have almost all of my military gear. I don't know where it all came from, but I got like three giant boxes of gear. Nice.
2: Are you hoping that um, your family legacy of the military continues?
1: A little bit. Um, for the longest time, I thought I would um, become an officer and go back to my original unit. That was my history, essentially. It's where mm-hmm. I grew up. Um After my grandfather left, I kind of saw it take a direction I didn't really like. Mm -hmm. Um, For the longest time, that building meant much about family. Um, We would go out and have essentially picnics with the whole armory, bringing their families out. We'd go bowling with gas masks and night vision goggles. (laughs) Yes. You watch a 10, (laughs) 11-year-old walk around in mop gear. It's hilarious. (laughs) Sounds great. um picnics easter egg hunts christmas um my mother would dress up as easter bunny and we'd have easter parties there but after i signed up it kind of went a different direction they started painting over the vietnam memorial there was a passing actually at my first tour Uh, one of the generals made a a rule where there would be no more alcohol on government uh, facilities so all the nco clubs there used to be one in almost every armory keep us out of trouble sure (laughs) sure keep us it happens
0: there it's not happening in a civilian bar exactly
1: (laughs) um so all of them had to be torn down and reconverted well that's where the war memorial was and they painted over that made it a barren classroom there used to be photos of the the achievements of the the national the the guard armory on everything they did and that got reduced from like three walls down to a 12 by five post, uh, poster oh. and it, it, all the, all the mementos they had from other bases and the competitions, they started chucking them out the, the trash. And I was like, dude, that's history. Right. And, but I wasn't in charge. It wasn't my, my building. Sure.
0: So now that it's all said and done, are you happy that you did this, that you went into the military, that you served the country as you plan to do?
1: Absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I learned so much from the military, and I got a broader um, appreciation for culture in itself. Mm-hmm.
0: You saw the world, man. I mean, at least parts, parts of, it of it that not yeah. a lot of people get to see. Right. You know, not a lot of Americans saw those mountains that you saw. Nope.
2: Do you think that um, you and your wife will ever do traveling, whether you go there or somewhere else? We um, want did to. That, yeah. Um,
1: we want to go to Ireland. Mm. Um, one of my layovers was there, and I only got to see the grass of the airport. So, but um, I want to go to Japan, uh, Australia. So we do want to travel. It's not on our budget right now.
2: Oh yeah, hear that?
0: <laughs> yeah, we want to travel as well. She wants to travel the places that that you just mentioned. I, you know, I'm good with going to the quick trip or. Uh, <laughs> over to Festival, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, traveling. that's just kind of traveling. I'm not much of a...
1: Well, quick Trip is gar- starting to get shorter and shorter. <laughs> They're everywhere.
0: They're everywhere now. All right, man. Well, this has been a pleasure talking with you, yeah. man. It really has. I love that you shared your story, and it, it's such a colorful one, and uh, clearly you see the brighter side of things. I mean... I yeah. try to. And I love that about you. I do. I think it's, it's fantastic, and I'm so thankful you came on. I, I appreciate I... the... Opportunity. It's, it's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure.
2: Well, and in addition to coming here, thank you for your service. I know um, it's hard to even imagine, at least for me and probably like you too, is not having had those experiences, but everything you did and everything you risked, um, that does really mean a lot. And thank you.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you.